Welcome to City on a Hill Church, Forest Hills podcast. We exist to lead people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coahforesthills.org. Welcome. Good morning. I did not introduce myself at the beginning of the service. If I've not met you, my name is Stephen. I'm the lead pastor here at City on a Hill. I'm glad uh, to, you're here this morning to worship with us. A few things before we get into the text this morning. Number one is if you are a guest with us, you'll find in your seat a blue connection card. Fill out that card. It gives us a couple of ways to get in contact with you. Take that card. Go to the table in the back on the way out the back door. Some will be there to meet you, and they'll exchange that for a $5 gift card to Third Cliff Bakery. That's just our thank you for you being here this morning. And secondly, we'll follow up with you this week via email, and we'll send you a a list of charities. Just respond to that email and let us know which one you would like us to make a donation to in your name, and we'll do so as our thank you for you being here this morning. Our values as a church are the gospel, community, and mission. Gospel means good news. At one point, we were separated from God because of our sinful choices and actions, but yet God sent his son that while we were still in our sin, while we were enemies of God, while we were dead in our sin, Christ came to make us family. He came to make us alive, dying on the cross for us, paying the penalty we deserve so that we could receive life through him. And so if you've not entered into that relationship with Jesus, come find me after the service. I'm gonna be standing in the back. I'd love to talk with you about how to take the next step to put your faith and trust in Christ today. Secondly is community. God calls us together as a multicultural, multi-ethnic family from all across the world with a new hope in Jesus together. And so we are do this with this picture as the church, with this imperfect picture of what God is going to make us to be. And then lastly, mission. God calls us to join him on his mission to make all things new. And so we do so through declaring the gospel of Jesus, telling others about what Jesus has done for us. But then secondly, through demonstrating the gospel of Jesus by loving and serving our neighbors in the way that Jesus has served us. One quick thing, speaking of mission, is this week our Jensen students are arriving. They're getting here on Tuesday. So uh, I want to make it very clear. This is not just like seven free workers for the summer. Uh, This doesn't just mean that you get out of setup for the summer. Um, This is seven students who are coming to Boston. I saw a fist bump. Don't do that. Uh, um, This is seven students who are coming to Boston to immerse themselves in our congregation. And yes, they are going to take on the load of doing a lot of serving for our church. They're going to do a lot of setup on Sundays. They're going to rotate through childcare. Each one of them actually is going to partner with one of our ministry leaders and help do work for them during the week. Uh, But also, we want to love and care for them. We want to give them an experience of what it looks like to be the church in Boston. So there's a few ways you can do this. One is pray for them. Begin praying now for what God is going to do in and through them this summer. But secondly is come this Tuesday. This Tuesday night, you should see some info on the screen. Maybe it'll come up in a sec. Um, is, uh, we're going to be here at six o'clock and we are going to have a cookout with our Gen 10 students. You don't have to bring anything, just show up. And so be sure to come. You can register online at the event page, COAH forestills.org slash events just to give us an idea of numbers. Uh, But show up, we'll do hamburgers, hot dogs, and just get to know them. So be sure to come and welcome them well. Uh, the second thing that I want to mention is our member meeting. So if you're one of our covenant members, uh, our member meeting is next Sunday night. This is a really important meeting. This is going to set our budget for the next fiscal year. So members, be sure to sign up through the event page, register, sign up to bring something. Um, covenant membership is important to us because we believe we're saying this is our church and these are our people. So if you've not taken that next step toward membership, you'll find that yellow card in your seat. Mark that, mark um, uh, information about membership, and you can take that to the back as well. 
well. And then lastly is our volunteer appreciation night. That's going to be on Saturday the 10th. And we're doing this uh, as a way to just bless our volunteers. What happens here on a Sunday morning, the ministry that happens in our city does not just happen alone. It's not just me doing it or Amy or Matt or Heather, whoever. It's all of you. And so if you have served in any way over the last year, even if it was one time, we want you to come out to this. And so be sure to sign up through the event page. Uh, let us know that you're going to be there. And we have free childcare here at the church. We just want to be a blessing to you for being a blessing to our church and a blessing to our city. Uh, one final announcement is I wanted to recognize a couple people. I'm sure they love this. Uh, I wanted to recognize Bland and Teresa Mason right behind you. Bland's in the pink shirt. He's, he's clear-headed uh, there. And, uh, and Teresa, his lovely wife. And so Bland is the pastor of City on a Hill, Brookline. And they planted City on a Hill in 2009, 2010 uh, and are really responsible partly for why we're here. Um, we are a part of the City on a Hill network. And so Bland is on sabbatical for the next three months. And so he's coming here to judge. No, he's, not, he's coming here to, uh, he's coming here just to relax and enjoy himself and, uh, and also just be a, be a blessing to us this morning. So be sure to give Bland and Teresa a high five, encourage them, maybe even pray for them as for what God will do through their sabbatical uh, this next couple of months. I want to turn it over to Golds, who's going to read our scripture this morning, and then she's going to pray, and I will, um, I will uh, preach the message. So go ahead. Good morning, church. Today I'll be reading from Genesis 29, verses 15 to 20. I'll be reading both in Haitian Creole and English. At the end of the reading in Haitian Creole, I will say, Paul Gametla. Please respond by saying, Merci, bon Dieu, merci. Merci, bon Dieu, merci. And for the version in English, please respond by saying, Thanks be to God. Genèse 29, verset 15 à 20. Là-bas, m'a dit Jacob, où c'est famille, c'est vrai. Mais ça pas v'lait dit, faut qu'on serve gratis pour ça. Dis-moi combien pour me payer. Laban t'a gagné deux petites filles. Pigan t'a relé Léa, Pipitia t'a relé Rachel. Léa t'a gagné pich-pich, mais Rachel t'a gagné belle femme corps, il était belle en pile. Jacob t'a ramené Rachel, lui répond Laban. M'a servi avec sept l'année pour Rachel. Deuxième petite fille oua. Laban dit Pito c'est ou même moins baili passer pour m'bailler l'autre monde li ou mettre été la caille moins c'est comme ça Jacob passe 7 ans à travail ka Laban pour te ka marier à Rachel cette l'année yo passé tant coup de l'eau parce qu'elle te remet petite filia ça c'est parole grand-mère là merci bon dieu merci Genesis 29 verses 15 to 20 Then Laban said to Jacob because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they said to him, but of you, because the love he had for her. 
This is the word of the Lord. And I'll be praying in Creole. Mon Dieu Papa, merci pour parole que nous attendez. Merci pour travail que vous faites dans l'église ça. Et n'a pas d'autre chez Papa t'appris. Voyez l'esprit là dans Pasteur Simon côté que il a prêché et que il va refléter parole ou et parole lui va servir nous toutes dans l'église là et continuer servir tout le monde avec toute culture. Amen. Thank you, Goals, for reading and for praying this morning. Uh, part, of the, part of the reason this is All Nations Sunday is not just because we celebrate all nations, but because the gospel goes to all nations. And when we look at the story of Jacob and his family, uh, it starts with this little family and then ends up going to all nations. And the promise was all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, when God said through Abraham's family that they would be a blessing to all people. And so we see this, and so we as the church inherit this mission to be a blessing to all people. And it's good for us to review this mission every once in a while. So every organization has mission statements and vision statements and goals and values. And so our mission as a church is leading people to love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We want to lead people from every culture to do so, to, to love Jesus, to love Jesus more than anything, love Jesus more than anything in our jobs, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. We want people to trust Jesus above all the other things that we trust and follow him because he is the one that leads us to life. And it's good for us to review this for a few reasons. One is it tells us who we are. It tells us who we are as God's people, that our primary identity is not the job that you work, not your relationship status, but it's who Christ says you are, that you're a beloved child of God in him. We need to be reminded of that. And so we need to be reminded that as we're following after Jesus, we want to call other people to that same beautiful hope. Secondly, it tells us why we exist, that we don't exist primarily to just do nice things, but we exist to glorify God by leading other people to him. But it also points us in the direction of that Revelation 7 vision. If we want to see every person from every culture experience the gospel, every tribe, tongue, and nation around the throne celebrating Jesus, we need to be laser focused on leading people to love, trust, and follow him in everyday life. That is our mission. And the one reason that we need to do this is because we forget. We are forgetful people. I literally called my wife this morning and said, I don't know where my reading glasses are. Can you please find them? I am a forgetful person. You're a forgetful person. And if I'm going to forget my keys or where my cell phone is or where my reading glasses are, I'm also going to be tempted to forget the mission God's called us to. Rick Warren, Pastor Rick Warren, who pastors, pastored one of the most influential churches in America, in American history, called Saddleback, in his book, The Purpose Driven Church, says that you need to re give a fresh vision of the mission and vision of the church every 28 days because people forget it. Your people forget it, your leaders forget it, and when we forget the mission that God has called us to, the primary thing, the true north, the thing that God has called us to, what begins to happen is we will begin to look elsewhere. We'll begin to get distracted. We'll be given to sideways energy. And it's easy for us to get off track personally. If I forget that there's no greater love for me than in Jesus Christ, I'm going to be looking for it in my family. If I forget that there's nothing greater for me to trust, then I'm going to trust how much money is in the bank. If I, if I forget that I'm called on a mission to follow after God, if I forget that, I'm going to follow after all sorts of other things other than him, and I'm going to be distracted from the mission that God has in front of me. 
And, it's, and we see the same thing in Jacob's life. Jacob, at the end of chapter 28, God has called him to a new mission in a fresh way. God meets him and tells him, he says, I'm with you, which is the, the promise behind all promises. He says, I'm never going to leave you. And Jacob makes this big declaration that he's going to praise God and that he's going to return to this land. And he's going to do all of these things. He's going to trust God for everything. I'm going to love you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. And this should have been something that set the direction of his life. And Jacob should have never sinned again, right? You ever made one of those prayers where you're like, God, if you just get me out of this situation, I'll never sin again. I just remember being in high school and like prayed that about a girl. I was like, God, if you'll just make this girl like me, I will never sin again. Like we make promises like that, but we see very quickly in chapters 29 and 30 that Jacob goes off the rails. And what 29 and 30 reveal is our tendency to lose focus on the mission of God and what he has for our lives. And we see three main threats in verses or chapters 29 through 30. And the threats to the mission of God are love, money, and family. Love, money, and family are threats to us following after the mission of God because these are things that we are tempted to love and trust and follow And ultimately, we could also call them idols. And the reason we would call these idols is because an idol is something that you look to in order to feel okay, that you look to in order to feel like you're enough, that you look to in order to feel like you matter, the thing that buoys you or anchors you, the thing that you love, trust, and follow most. And so love, money, and family have become so central to Jacob and his family that it ends up causing them immense pain. And it distracts Jacob from the mission of God of getting back to the land for almost 20 years. And it's no different for us. We can become so distracted from the mission of God running after good things. Look, love is a good thing. Money is a good thing. We need money. Family is a good gift and blessing from God. But if we make that the central thing, the thing that becomes our foundation, the thing that gives us roots, we're going to miss the mission that God has for us. Jesus has to be the foundation that all of those good blessings sit on. So let's look at each one of these. Let's look at how they're a threat. And then let's look at how Jesus is better and gives us hope in the midst of those. So firstly, let's look at love. We see at the beginning of chapter 29 that Jacob is traveling toward his family's homeland. It says in verse 1, Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw. Now, when you see looked and saw like that, that's a kind of a tip that that is God opening his eyes. That is God intervening in a way to show him what he had set before him. So he looks and he sees, and behold, the three flocks of sheep lying beside it, beside the well, for out of that well, the flocks were watered. And so this should sound like a sort of familiar story if you know about Jacob's dad. Jacob's father, uh, Isaac, his, his father, Abraham, so Abraham is Jacob's grandfather, Abraham sent his servant to a well in this land and met Jacob's mother, Rebekah. And so you can even think that this might have even been in the mind of Jacob, thinking, Jacob's saying, man, this worked for mom and dad, I'm going to go to the same place, we're going we're gonna, to you know, share a bucket of popcorn and we're going to fall in love with each other. That might be even what he's imagining. And so we see this curious situation pop up in verse 4, where Jacob meets these men at the well, and he says, my brothers, where do you come from? And they say, we are from Haran, which should have been a big clue to him. He's thinking, okay, I'm on the right track. This is where my mom's family is from. 
And he said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said to him, we know him. He said to them, is it well with him? So they're kind of exchanging pleasantries. And they said, it is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. So he sees Rachel approaching. He can't quite get a look at her yet. He knows he's on the right track. And then Jacob just does what Jacob does. He says, behold, it is, is, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together, water the sheep, and go pasture them. Here's Jacob, who we've described as a homebody, who doesn't know anything about sheep, who would rather cook in the kitchen and not be out in the field trying to tell these shepherds what to do. He is the expert. You ever heard of the Dunning-Kruger effect? Uh, The Dunning-Kruger effect is the people who are the least experienced in something are the most confident in it. Here is Jacob, very confident. And he is telling them what to do. And, and so he notices they're just seemingly sitting around like a bunch of union workers. Sorry if you're a union worker. Um, but they're just sitting around doing nothing. One of my favorite uh, episodes of The Simpsons was an episode where Homer runs across a group of Teamsters. And they're like leaning up against the tr- truck and smoking a cigarette. And Homer tries to like out-Teamster the Teamster. He's like stretching and smoking and doing all the things that union workers supposedly do. So Jacob is watching them do nothing. He says, you need to water the sheep. What are you guys thinking? He says this arrogantly, and there are two possibilities. Number one, they're just being lazy. Or number two, they are waiting for Rachel to arrive on the scene. But either way, we see God behind this scenario causing their paths to cross. And then in verse nine, we see that Rachel arrives. While they were still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep. For the, She was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, what exactly is going on here? Jacob sees Rachel, and he takes a stone that two to three men would usually have to pick up off the top of the well and lay aside for them to water their sheep. What is Jacob doing? He is flirting. Jacob is trying to impress Rachel. Jacob is flexing his muscles and going, he's, he's like that, that guy in youth group. If you ever went to a large group, he tries to carry like 12 chairs to impress the girls. That is Jacob. He is trying to impress Rachel, does the work of three men. And uh, I mean, apparently he got stronger. He found a CrossFit gym. He took HGH. He didn't skip leg day. He picks up this giant stone, sets it to the side, waters the sheep so that Rachel would notice him. He's so given to love. He's so awestruck by this woman that a few verses later is described as beautiful in form and appearance, which is a way of saying she is stunning. He wants to impress her. And then the first date gets weirder. Verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. That, that's an odd first date. Uh, I'm going to show you how strong I am. I'm going to kiss you and then I'm going to cry about it. A little weird. And this is actually really improper. He should have like maybe told her his name first, where he's from. It, it could be possible that this was a welcome, like a kiss of welcome. Like in some cultures, a kiss in the cheek is a welcome. It doesn't appear to be. And what we see is that love can cause you to do things that aren't wise or godly. They can cause you to lose yourself in the moment. And so he meets her family and they agree to, he agrees to work for seven years, which sounds like a really poor deal because at the time, the typical bride price was about 30 to 40 shekels, which would have been about a month's worth of work. Kind of similar to how if you buy an engagement ring, the, the, the jewelry industry is said it needs to be three months salary, which sounds like something the jewelry industry would make up. Um, he overpays seemingly. And it says in verse 20 that it felt like to him only a few days because 
of the love that he had for her. Now, before you look at that story and think, man, that is beautiful. I wish somebody would love like that. I wish somebody would tend sheep for seven years for me. Before you think that, before you think Hallmark movie, there's a few notes on the way that love distracts us from the mission of God that we need to think about. Number one is love blinds you to what is right and good. Love has a way to blind you to what is right and good. Jacob runs into this like a sucker. He he runs into this deal not even thinking about what this is going to do for him, what's going to do to him. He ignores all the red flags in Laban's character. He ignores all the red flags in his own character because if you notice, if you go back to the story of, of Abraham's servant trying to get Rebekah, what does Abraham's servant do? He doesn't flex muscles and show how much he can curl. He praises God. It reveals a lack of character in Jacob. We can be blinded to the situation that you're running into. It can make you compromise your morals and forget what God calls as good. It can cause you to be ruled by your desires. Love blinds you, but it also love over promises and under delivers. Laban had two daughters. Verse 17, Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Now, that phraseology, the phrase that her eyes were weak is something that has stumped people for, for centuries. What exactly does it mean that her eyes were weak? Some have believed that maybe it meant her eyes were bulging. Some have believed that maybe it meant that she just couldn't see and had like some big Coke bottle glasses. Um, but if you look at it in context, it says that Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. What we believe that means is that Leah was unattractive either in general or at least in comparison to Rachel, the one who was unnoticed, the one who was unwanted, the one who, as soon as Rachel walked in the room, everybody forgot about Leah. And I, and I want to I talk about this. I want to be sensitive to Leah as I say this. So here, please hear what I'm saying. I think Leah is one of the most compelling characters in the entire Bible. Jacob goes to bed thinking he's getting Rachel and wakes up and behold, it's Leah. And that's the way that all love is if that's your everything. You go to bed believing it's Rachel and you wake up and behold, it is Leah because you meet someone who is attractive and funny and successful for a little while. And then they become annoying and time and gravity always win. One thinker said, sometimes it's devastating to be single and sometimes it's devastating to be married because love is an eternal weight. Love is not something that you can put on to someone else and expect them to be able to hold it up if it is your everything. So if a person is expected to bear everything for you, all the the love that you desire, you are going to crush them because they are going to let you down. Whether it's a spouse or a friend or a child, and what this means is you cannot make another person the source of all of your love. Also, we see that love can leave you feeling unloved. Jacob agrees to work seven more years for Rachel, and in, in verse 30, it says that he loved Rachel more than Leah. And how painful must that have been for Leah? Here she gets hoodwinked by her dad. He says, it's going to work out fine. You're going to marry him and he's going to love you. He's going to change. And here she finds herself in a loveless, cold marriage where he prefers someone else. Sometimes you can find yourself in that place that love makes all these promises, leaving you in a place where you're alone. And what love can do is distract us from the mission of God because if we become so focused on being loved or finding love, it can make you forget that you are already loved by Jesus. 
that you have the only love that could possibly sustain your soul by the one who's big enough to do it. And what the Bible tells us is that we continue to return, it gives us imagery in the Psalms, of returning to old broken cisterns, old broken wells, old broken sources of water. And what we do is we keep going back to those same places that we find empty and dry. We keep running back to dating that it's not just that I hope in dating, it's just I was dating the wrong person. We keep going back to our spouse believing maybe this time he or she is going to satisfy me. But here's what happens when you follow after Jesus and believe he has the love that you need. Benita Rendell Risner says that sitting with God day after day, I realized this love and attentiveness from God were not second best. They were better than any love. Love distracts us, but we have perfect love from Jesus. Secondly, money. Money can distract us from the mission of God. The famous salesman Zig Ziglar said that money can't buy happiness, but we all want to find out for ourselves. We, we know it. We, we know that money cannot buy happiness, but we all keep trying it again. And so tucked inside of this story of love about Rachel and Leah and Jacob is a story about Laban's greed. Laban being Rachel's mother, Leah, or Rachel's father, Leah's father. And so he sees Jacob and he sees Jacob as a sucker. Jacob is so punch drunk in love that he will do whatever it takes to get Rachel's affection. And so he runs straight into this deal with Laban, not even thinking about it. It's a little bit like when you go to a car salesman. That car salesman can smell blood. They can smell desperation. It's like like a shark in the water. And they look at you and they say, you know, I could see you behind the wheel of this 2011 Toyota Camry. Yeah, maybe not that. I can see you behind the wheel of this Jeep or this Corvette or the, I can see you doing. And what they're trying to get you to do is fall in love with the car so much that you forget about the sticker price. You forget about the interest rate. You forget about the down payment. You forget about the monthly payment. You're like, I'll eat ramen. This is a beautiful car. That's what they're trying to get you to do. And Jacob just gets reeled in by Laban and Laban meets him with open arms in verse 13. He says to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be? Sorry, that's verse verse 15. Verse 13, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Laban, or Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Your family, I want to take care of you. And in verse 15, he says, name your price. And he's imagining, I'm not going to let you work for free, but I know I'm going to get a lot of stuff from you. I'm going I'm to do you a favor, Jacob. And in naming his price, he traps Jacob into seven years of service. And in verse 21, that seven years is over. And Jacob said to Laban in a very kind of very out front way, he says, give me my wife that I may go into her for my time is completed. In other words, I want to sleep with my wife. It's been seven years. And notice that Laban never exactly says yes. He just throws a wedding party. He leaves all the details at this week-long blowout of a wedding. And there are two things that make this deception possible. Number one is that Leah and Rachel would have been wearing a veil. Jacob would not have been able to see her face. It would also have been dark at night. And then also the wine was flowing. The wine is just flowing and Jacob is drunk and he's going into his tent and behold, it is Leah in the morning. 
And so this all happens, uh, and, and what, what Laban is thinking in the midst of this is, man, I can get a two-for-one deal here. I can marry off the daughter that nobody wants, and I can get some more work out of this kid. And so Jacob wakes up in the morning. He's furious. He feels cheated. Verse 25, he, he sees it's Leah, and he says, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? And Laban works on a technicality, and he says, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. He deceives Jacob for more money. He knows that Jacob is over a barrel. He knows that Jacob will do the work. And this shows us how money can distract you from doing the mission of God. Jacob was a part of this family. He had heard of the promises, how his sister Rebekah was to be the mother of a bunch of nations, and yet chooses his own greed over loving his nephew. Money can grip your heart in such a way that it directs everything that you do, that you spend your money on what you want most that your chest begins to tight, feel tight when you have less money. You get insecure when the bank account is low, and as soon as that direct deposit hits, you feel like you are on top of the world. Jesus said that money will, will master you if you let it, and that you can't serve two masters, and one will give way to the other. So a great diagnostic question for you in this is, what's the, what's the tiebreaker? When it's coming to a decision, and it's like, is this about money or about following after God, which one comes first? Now, listen, you should consider money. The Bible says a wise builder considers the cost. But before you consider the cost, you consider whether it gives God glory or not. How you spend your money, where you choose to live, what you spend it on. If, if it's all about the money, then you're going to chase the raise. You're going to chase the promotion. You're going to chase what gives you a better retirement. If, if it's what money can give you, then you're going to make your decision about what puts more money in the bank and what gets you more house and what gives you better options. And what it does is it can hurt other people. You can forsake relationships. You can cut corners or put profit above loving others. But if you follow after Jesus first, money becomes a means not just to consume, but a means to bless. A way that we use the resources God has given us because we're satisfied in him. Paul learned this. He learned how to be content in all things. And when he's talking about that, he's talking about money. He's talking about, I've learned to be content with little. I've learned to be content with much. Quick plug for this. Over the summer, we're doing some faith and life seminars. And our first seminar on June 20th is going to be from Dr. Art Carden on faith and finances. And so we'll be here at the church. Be sure to sign up online. But we're going to be talking about how our money can be used for the glory of God. So be sure to sign up for that. Thirdly is family. Out of this mess, God births a very large family. Now, this is a family that will be on a daytime talk show one day trying to figure out who their fathers are, but it is a family nonetheless. God use, he uses messed up families and, and people. But family can also become an idol. It can become a threat to following after Jesus. And there are all sorts of ways that you can look to your family to, 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 to do this that can, for something that only God can provide. You can look to your family as a way to fix everything. Your family can become a fix. And Leah, as I mentioned, is one of the most heartbreaking characters in the entire Bible because she has her first three kids all as attempts to make her husband love her. That's heartbreaking. We see in verse 32 that she conceived a son named Reuben, which literally just means a son. And she says, man, maybe my husband will love me. Verse 34, she has Simeon, which means that God has heard me and maybe my husband will finally hear me. Verse 34, she has Levi and says, now I have three sons. He's gonna be, maybe he's gonna finally be attached to me. Maybe he's gonna finally 
love me, hear me, and want me. A family cannot fix you. Having kids cannot fix you. Getting married cannot fix you. Because there are wounds in our hearts that another person cannot fix. There are holes in us that they cannot fill. We need God to fix and fill those things. We can also use it as a way to prove yourself. Verses, uh, chapter 30, verses 1 through 8, Rachel is not happy. She was the beloved wife, and now her sister Leah is having all the kids, and she goes to Jacob and says, give me children or I will die. You want to know the definition of an idol? That. Because if, it, if you would die without it, that's an idol. Okay? So whatever you would die if you didn't have is an idol. And Jacob responds like, what am I supposed to do about this? Like, how am I supposed to fix this whole thing? Because I'm not God. And so Rachel decides to take everything into her own hands as she remembers the strategy of her grandmother, Sarah, as she used her servant to have a child and does the same thing through her servant, Bilhah. And I want you to notice the names of those children. Her first son through Bilhah's name is Dan, which means vindicated. Her second son's name is Naphtali, which means struggled and won. We can make being a spouse or a parent a way of proving ourselves, of proving our worth. Maybe you came from a broken family and you look at getting married and having kids as a way to do better than your mom or your dad did. I'm going to be the mom that my mom never was. I'm going to be, I'm going to be an available dad because my dad was never around. I'm going to be a loving and caring husband or wife because my parents never were. And maybe you put all your hope in being that good parent that if you can just give your kids enough experiences and the best schools and you just never let them down, you can prove yourself to them and to others. And it's hard to see how that messes you up because C.S. Lewis says that a mother's love is actually the most difficult to see as sinful because it's so close to the love of God. But if it becomes a way to prove yourself to others, it distracts you from the mission. The third way is as a way to prosper and be happy. If we look to our family as the only way that we are going to be happy, it's going to crush us. Leah, in verse 9, sees that she stopped having kids. She, she no longer has any children. She's like, what am I going to do? My advantage is gone. So she turns to her servant, Zilpah. I told you this family's messed up. And her son's names are Gad and Asher, which mean fortune and happiness. And I want you to notice two things. If you were to look there at those verses, she doesn't mention God this time. She doesn't say God sees me or God hears me. She just simply mentions, I have received a fortune and I am happy. And also that at the end of verse 13, for women have called me happy. The praise of other people made her happy. The fourth way is as a way to manipulate. Now listen, verses 14 through 21 are weird. I didn't even know what a mandrake was before this week. Uh, but this is a really weird passage Reuben, Leah's first son, comes in from the field with mandrakes, which is thought to be a, some sort of fruit about the size of a plum. It was an aphrodisiac. It was a way of, uh, of inducing love and possibly inducing pregnancy. And so Rachel sees this, and she really wants a child of her own. She realizes that even through Bilhah, it's not making her content. And, and she says, Leah, give me some of your son's mandrakes. And Leah says, no. You've already taken my husband. You want my son's mandrakes too? Well, I mean, why do we care about mandrakes so much? I don't know. Um, and so she says, no, give me another night with Jacob and you can have them. And so Leah has another son through Jacob named Issachar, which means wages or I earned it. She manipulated her family to get what she wants. And we could do the same thing through being passive aggressive. 
We can do the same thing through throwing a fit. We can do the same thing through withholding love or affection. This family is messed up. And it goes back further. If you were to go back to the end of chapter 27, Rebecca is so furious at the idea of Jacob marrying a Hittite that he sends, she sends Jacob away. We see in chapter 28, verses 6 through 9, that Esau wanted to impress his dad. So he marries another woman a little closer to the family. Family can distract us from being the blessing that God wants us to be. So how do we turn our hearts towards God and his mission? A few takeaways as we wrap up. Number one is you have to realize that God alone keeps his promises. idols always fail to deliver. The person who promised to love you and never let you down is going to let you down. In a marriage ceremony, when there are vows, they are vows that are destined to be broken. They are. If you're trying to love your wife or love your husband in your own power, you are going to fail. They are vows that God has to uphold. Your idols will fail you. Your job is going to start out exciting and get boring one day. The Bible says that contentment with godliness is great gain, meaning that if we learn to be content now, whatever you receive, you will learn to be content then. We have to be content in the love that God gives us. Secondly, when idols fail, they expose unresolved sin. What did Jacob realize through all this? You notice Jacob kind of goes quiet. He realized that he did the exact same thing to his dad. In the darkness and the blindness of his father, he deceived him and stole someone else's blessing. Leah is unloved by her father and looks for that same love in Jacob. And when, we, when our idols expose our sin, we need to press deeper and look underneath and ask, why is that such a sore spot? Why does that hurt so much? Why do I recoil at that idea? Why do I keep repeating the sin? And then last, we have to learn to long beyond our idols. Notice that each time that God shows them grace in this is after they wanted him more than anything. If you look at chapter 29, verse 35, we see that that Leah has another son named Judah. And and this time she doesn't mention Jacob at all. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. We see at the end of chapter 30 that Rachel, it says that then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. So these longings become blessings. All of your longings and all of your desires, they're not bad, but they're meant to point beyond themselves to something better and something greater. Maybe you want to be loved and you feel unloved. Let that desire to be loved direct you to God alone who loves you perfectly. Jesus wants you. And maybe you need to hear that this morning, that Jesus doesn't just tolerate you. He wants you. He gave his life for you and he rose again for you. Maybe you want the security that money promises. Look beyond that, not to an earthly treasure, but to what Jesus promises as a treasure that will never fade. Maybe you really want to be a part of a family. Realize that God has called you into his family as a beloved son or daughter through the work of Christ. We all want to be loved. We all want to be a part of a family. I was was at the Harbor Network retreat with Amy a couple weeks ago, and Zach Eswine was talking about this practice he started with his little boy who's four years old, little boy Noah. And he says, Noah, you are a loved boy. And he keeps telling his son this every day. And finally, his son has began to say, you know, Dad, I know I'm a loved boy. You are a loved boy. You are a loved girl. You are a beloved son or daughter of God through Jesus 
And you don't get into that family, you don't receive that love because of your goodness. You don't receive it because of your worthiness. You don't receive it because of your beauty, but because Jesus chose to love you. Jesus is the better Jacob who gave up everything, not just two seven-year terms of service, but he laid his life down for you so that you could be forgiven seven times 70. What happens when you realize that you're loved by Jesus? You trust him, you follow him, you give your life to him so that others can experience the same love Enjoy. This is what we want City on Hill to be about, to be about leading people to love, trust, and follow Jesus together. So let's do that together as God's people who found the only love that can truly satisfy. Let's pray.